It's great to be here with you this morning. Before we jump into the message, a couple things I just want to sort of highlight, bring to our attention. Of course, it's Father's Day, but before I talk about that, it's Juneteenth. Uh, Juneteenth uh, is a time where we as a nation uh, commemorate uh, the fact that uh, we uh, as a nation uh, freed uh, slaves. I don't know how else to say that. Uh, the Sort of the national sin was was righted in some ways. And in June 19th, 1865, uh, by general order of the Union General in Texas, uh, the slaves in Texas were freed, which was sort of an interesting thing because the Civil War had entered two months before that. And two years before that, the Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st uh, of 1863, I have some history teachers in here who may call me out, and I think I'm right. But, uh, but why do I bring that up? Because there was much work still to be done. And there's still some work that needs to be done. And we as a church are a part of that in the places where we live, where we play, where we go to work, where we go to school of, of sharing the love of Christ with those around us. Bruce Lee, who was not a Christian, but got this one right. He said, there's one, heaven, there's one family under heaven. One family under heaven. And I think we as a church can agree on that. One family under heaven. And, and what an opportunity we have as a church to share the message of peace and love to those around us. And so... Wanted to bring that to our attention today. It's Father's Day, uh, and I'm always reminded on Mother's Day that there would be no Mother's Day without Father's Day. And so uh, dads out there, I want to say Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, maybe give a hand to the dads. We, we clapped at Mother's Day. Okay. Always feel sort of like that's uh, hard for me to do as a father. Come on, clap. Come on, make it big, you know. Applaud, applaud. But I appreciate you guys who... Uh, who are fathers and who men who just pour their lives into the lives of others. We're looking at a dad this morning. We're continuing our series, Abraham, A Faith Journey. And as we look at this father, we're going to be pulling from his life, hopefully, a principle that we can use in our own faith journey. And this particular account we're going to look at deals with him and his son Isaac. And it's an account that can be easily misunderstood if not seen through the lens of the Bible as a whole. And so as we look at it, hopefully we can get a biblical perspective of this account from Abraham's life. But before we jump right into the passage, I want to give a little review of Abraham. God calls Abraham to leave all that's familiar to him and go to the land of promise. God promises to make him a great nation. And one problem is, is that he and his wife, or Sarah, are way beyond childbearing years. But God, through a miracle provides them this child, Isaac, who's the child of promise. And God says that the promise that I've given to you, Abraham, will be fulfilled through Isaac and, and his descendants. And so this makes Isaac, Abraham's son, of great importance to God's divine plan. But mostly we need to understand that Abraham is a mere man. He's a husband and he's a dad. And so we're going to look at the passage. I'm going to invite you to look up on the screens. We'll follow along together. Genesis 22, 1 through 18, this account of Abraham and his son Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. 
and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went with them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. I think just listening to that account, we would all agree it's a little unusual. And we can probably speculate how it could be misunderstood, but we're going to unpack it together. And again, I believe we'll pull out a principle from Abraham's faith journey that we can apply to our faith journey. If we were to sort of chart out Abraham's journey with God, his faith journey, if you will, it would look like the Himalayas. You would have these high peaks and, of course, a lot of valleys. And the Mount Everest, if you will, or, or, or the, the high point of, of what we see his faith, I believe, is here at Mount Moriah. The account is one of the most profound demonstrations of a, place, of a person placing their faith in a faithful God. The account begins, verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, when we, when we look at that, we realize what, what, a, what a profound call. I mean, Abraham was used to going somewhere where he wasn't sure where he was going to end up. That was his original calling back in Genesis 12. Abraham, go to the place I will show you. At least now he knows the region where he's going. But to go and offer his son. Some have said that, that maybe he was just practicing what the Canaanites were doing, the people around him, the pagan people who worship false gods. We know through archaeological evidence, sacrificed their children 
to, to their false gods? And was he, was he just mimicking that? And yet that, that's a misconception because we find in the text that, that God tested Abraham. And, and, and for some, the thought of God that he might test a person like this is, is beyond their thinking. In part because there's a common misunderstanding of God that some hold. Some see God as sort of a, a, a cruise, a, a recreational director on a cruise ship. Uh, the false view of God believes he exists to merely make them feel good about themselves. In this view, God, like a recreational director whose task is to, to assure everyone would have a good time, will spare no expense to make sure everything's just easy for you. The idea that God would put someone to the test is really outside the grasp of many of those outside the church and unfortunately some within the church. And I believe that's why, why God inspired James to, to, to sort of correct this misconception. In James 1, 2 through 3, he writes, count it all joy. I'm going to say that again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it pure joy. Faith is matured through the stressful testing of life. Much like our cardiovascular system is strengthened through the stressing of the body through exercise, that, that faith grows as it's pressure tested, so to speak. It's, our faith isn't displayed in, in a vacuum, but, but is displayed in the crucible of life. And so the Lord's providing Abraham with this exquisite opportunity to, to strengthen and display his faith. But I ask us this morning, place yourself for a minute in Abraham's shoes or sandals, so to speak. He's a dad. This son was a, was a blessing provided to him at his old age. I mean, it, it's, it, he's a literal miracle. And then add to it, we read in the text, your only son. And yet Abraham had another son. His older son was Ishmael, who came because Abraham had sort of wanted to make God's plan happen. And so he took God's plan into his own hands. And Ishmael now has left. And the only son left is Isaac, his only son in this verse. Think about it. Abraham was asked to measure his faith in, in relation to his parental love for his son. I mean, no one could take such testing lightly. In addition to Abraham's parental challenge, there's a steeply spiritual one. Again, Isaac is the child of promise. All of God's promises will come through Abraham and through Isaac. So Abraham understood. Abraham understood that if the promise of God was to be fulfilled, Isaac's life would have to be preserved. Here's Abraham's dilemma. The promise of God required that Isaac live, and the command of God demanded he should die. For many a believer, when we're confronted with a God who appears to be self-contradictory, rather than trusting him and growing in our faith and waiting to see how God's plan will come to fruition, unfortunately, many choose in the least to sort of avoid God and in the worst to abandon the faith altogether. We see Abraham, however, respond in faith. Not, in this, not just in the big parts of the story, but even in some of the minor details. For instance, where it says, go to the general region of Moriah with no more specific instructions. Again, this wasn't new to him. This was his original calling. Go to the land where I will show you. So at least, again, he has the region in mind. But it says it took three days to travel there. Can you imagine the discussion between him and his son Isaac in those three days? 
the things they talked about, Abraham knowing what they were going to do. And then there's faith shown when Isaac questioned the, the lack of an offering. And, and Abraham replied, God will provide. I always found that sort of interesting, how Abraham must have felt when he said that. We discovered that Abraham's faith was not an example of sort of this reckless abandonment, however, or some irrational behavior. He wasn't uncaring and unloving or, or, or being callous toward Isaac, the son who he loved. No, no, Abraham's faith was steadfast because he knew God was faithful. He knew that God was true to his promises. And, and the writer of Hebrews gives us sort of this insight into Abraham's thinking. In Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it is said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, catch, catch this, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which figuratively speaking he did receive him back. Where did Abraham get the idea of resurrection? It had never happened. Because Abraham knew God would be true to his promises. And if Isaac had to live, and then if God would have him come, he would bring him back. Abraham had faith that God would make a way. And, and this is crucial. Abraham pressed on, not knowing the why, the where, and the when, but he always knew the who. And he always knew that if God was, was in charge, if God was working, that that's who he placed his faith in. He didn't place his faith in the circumstances. He didn't place his faith in how I could reason this thing to work. He placed his faith in God. And when I look at this account from Abraham's life, the principle that I pull out from my own faith journey is this, is that Abraham reminds believers that faith in God will stretch them. Let me say that again. Faith in God will stretch them, but the stretching will serve to expand their capacity to know God and discover the great potential of life lived by faith. Here, here's the gospel truth. My Mount Moriah story and yours may not look like Abraham's, but when handled in faith can produce the same fruit. Eventually the Lord leads Abraham to, and Isaac to Mount Moriah. And Mount Moriah means God will provide. And, and Mount Moriah is in this, in this range that really extends from Mount Zion in the west to the Mount of Olives in the east. And it's the place where Solomon will eventually build the temple to the Lord. This was the place where Isaac was symbolically sacrificed. Sacrifices were made in the temple to the Lord. But all this foreshadowed the greatest sacrifice of all, Jesus Christ. God's one and only son who willingly died on the cross for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. Once Abraham and Isaac had arrived at the place that God had shown them, uh, what does Abraham do? He builds the altar. He goes to the work to, to prepare this altar where he's going to sacrifice his son. And it's here where we don't just look at Abraham's faith. We have to stop a minute and look at Isaac's faith. Look at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, in, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham is 137 years old. I mean, he's old, right? I mean, can we, can we say that? I can say that because I'm not offending anyone because no one in this room is 137 years old. He's an old man. Isaac's in his late teens. Abraham didn't force Isaac to do anything. 
You know, have any of you tried to force a teenager to do anything anyway? He did not force Isaac to do this. He couldn't overpower Isaac. And so just right there, we can read into it, and I think reasonably read into it, that Isaac had faith. And to be very honest with you, I don't know what takes more faith, offering up your son or a son allowing yourself to be offered. Think about it. Abraham raises up the knife to sacrifice Isaac. Picture Abraham, knife raised high, heartbreaking, and faith stretched. Then God spoke, verse 12. God said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. God intervenes. It's a triumph of divine timing. I mean, think about it. God did not act a minute too soon. He didn't act a minute too late. He acted just in time. And Abraham was taken from the, from the point of no return to see his faith in God. He knew. He was, his faith had to be boistered by this reality, but he trusted God. And God saw his faith. And Isaac, by the way, from a very uncomfortable position, saw all of this. Again, the principle I just see here that that applies to our own faith journey is that Abraham reminds believers that faith in God will will stretch you. But the stretching will expand your capacity to know God and to see how he works in and through your life. Abraham could not have known uh, when told that, 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 that he tells Isaac that God would provide a sacrifice, exactly how God would do it. But look at verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I don't know how it happened, but in my mind I picture Abraham and Isaac walking up one side of the mountain and this ram that they can't see going up the other. And all of a sudden when God says, don't offer up your son, you don't need to do that. It's a test of faith. He looks out and there is the the provided sacrifice right there, waiting. Verse 14, look at the response. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. See, faith puts us in a front row seat, a front row seat to see God's glorious workings in our life. And God's people through faith place themselves in the exact place where God will deliver Exactly what is needed in exactly the right time in exactly the right manner. And so what's God do after this amazing testing? He reaffirms Abraham. He says, Abraham, you know the promise that I made to you. And he makes it again. He, he, it's, it's like saying to Abraham, I want to I reinforce the faith that's been built up in you. Verses 17 and 18. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand and the seashore. And your offspring possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. I think we'd be amidst. Amidst if, amidst if, we, if we didn't share within this, see within this event in Abraham's life and Isaac's life a foreshadowing of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That God gave his one and only son, that Jesus willingly came for us. And in this picture of a father that Paul writes of in Romans 8.32, our heavenly father, it says this, who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. 
Think about it. And in this ram, uh, the type of the lamb of God who, who died on the cross for the sins of the world. I have a daughter and two sons. I have a granddaughter and a grandson, three children, two grandchildren. And church family, I love you, but I just want to be honest with you this morning. I would not give up a one of them for you. Now, don't, don't, don't look at me like that. I, I just want to prepare you. If it's between you or them, I'll see you in heaven. That's the reality of it. And yet God the Father willingly gave up his son for us. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, willingly gave up his life for us. He offered up his son for each of us so that we could be in relationship with him. And he did it when we didn't care about his actions. He did it when we didn't desire his grace and love. And when I look at Abraham's action, I, I see something equally unforgettable. Just understanding that, 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 yes, when we place our faith in God, our faith will be stretched. Have you ever had your faith stretched? But that stretching of our faith serves to expand our capacity to know God and discover the great potential of faith in our life. This step, of course, begins with receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. The journey of faith is, is one where we take one step after another. It doesn't look perfectly much like Abraham. It'll, it'll look like a mountain with high peaks and valleys, no doubt. But he takes us to places where we don't know and, and sometimes where we, the reasons are unclear and, and, the un, and the ending of our story, the ultimate story is seen, but the individual acts in our story undisclosed. But we can have faith because we're firmly in the hands of a God who's faithful and true to his promises. Let me speak to a moment directly to fathers, but moms, everyone else, you can listen in. Parenting is a faith journey. Parenting is a faith journey. Our children are not so much ours, but alone from God to raise and love and prepare as they can embark on, on their faith journey with God. It's not easy. But we can trust in God's promises. He's with us and, and will provide everything we need. I don't know about you, but I look at my time as a father and I realize I haven't been a perfect dad. I've had those moments where my kids were little and they said something and I wanted to say, where did they hear that from? <laughs> there are times where my kids have made decisions that I know didn't honor God. And I wanted to make the decision for them and couldn't. No one warned me that when my kids became adults, that parenting didn't stop. I thought when they turned 18, like I was done, and it's not true. Sometimes I feel like I'm more concerned now for them as adults than I ever was when they were kids. My baby, my 18-year-old, he'd love the fact that it's called him my baby, but he is. My 18-year-old just had surgery. He's going to be 19 tomorrow. Just had surgery last Thursday. Some of you know he was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate. And so this was probably the most major of the many, many, many surgeries he's had over his young life. And, and he's a trooper. I mean, as he, I said, how are you doing? He said, well, I, you know, I don't want to do this. He said, what are you going to do? You know, and I'm like, well, I would just not do it. I don't know. I, I'd run, I don't know. You're, you're brave. I'm not sometimes. He's just one of my heroes. And I prayed with him before he was getting ready to be taken back. And the anesthesiologist came in and said, hey, we'll take good care of him. If any of you know me, in my mind, I went, you better. I didn't say it. My wife was there and I, was, I behaved myself. I thought, you better. You better treat him as if he's your own. But I felt helpless. Have you ever felt helpless as a parent? 
I don't know how women think, but us guys, we like to fix things. I couldn't fix them. I had to trust someone else to do that. And ultimately, I had to place them in God's hands as I was sitting in the waiting room. I remember just sitting there, and, and, and oftentimes in my life, I'm reminded of the individual who Jesus says, do you have faith? He says, I have faith, I have belief, but help me in my unbelief. And I, I was sitting there, I said, God, I have faith, I trust, but wow, help me where I'm not trusting. Help me trust in you. See, I don't know where you are on your faith journey, in your parenting journey, your life journey. I don't know where you are on your faith journey. But whatever your next step is, you take it not because you can see the end or, or, or because you necessarily feel peace in the midst of this thing. A peace has to come from God, the situation. You won't find the peace there. Not because you necessarily trust what your children do, because you trust God. He's got you. So whatever the next step is, whether it's coming to Christ and receiving him as Lord and Savior, even this morning to say, Lord God, thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins, being resurrected for my salvation. I, I know you've created me to be in this relationship with you. Or whatever the next step is, won't you take it with him? See, we know that our faith in God will stretch us, but it's the stretching that serves to expand our capacity to know God and to see the potential of our faith in him. I don't know where you are this morning, but I know God is here. I know he loves us. I know he has a plan for us. You may be in a situation as a parent or just, just in life where you're looking and saying, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let me tell you this, you may not see it, but God's light is always present. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And just like Abraham, we may not know the why, the how, the when, we can place our faith in the who. God is with us. Amen, church? And for all the dads out there, on our imperfect journeys of trying to raise our children, just know that as much as you love your kids, your heavenly father loves them all the more. <laughs> what a great, great reassuring promise. And if you regret maybe the way you fathered up to this point, let me let you in on good news. Today's a new day. <laughs> Today's a new day. God has something in store for you to make a difference in the world of others today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us so profoundly. Lord, I know uh, with a message like this that there are, there are many of us who were in situations, me just a couple of days ago with my son, who know what it's like to be uh, in situations where we don't know the when, the why, the who, or any of those things, but we know the who. We thank you that in your hands we can be secure. That Lord, when we don't have the strength you give it, when we lack the wisdom you give it, you always provide what we need. You're always true to your promises. So, Father God, as our faith is stretched, and it will be, help us just be very mindful, but it's a stretching of our faith. It expands our ability to really know you and, and to know what it's like to live a life of faith. It, it puts your glory on display, not just in our life, but for the world around us. And I pray, Lord God, that that's what would happen more and more in the life of us as your children. Thank you for blessing us in this place. And, Lord God, as we've gathered and Lord, as we scatter throughout the places where we live and where we work and, and go to school and play, Lord God, may we put your glory on display. 
Thank you for loving us so profoundly, but you didn't just say it, you demonstrated it by sending your one and only son for, for Jesus willingly dying on the cross for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation. God, thank you for all the dads in this room. Thank you for all the men who are impacting the lives of others. Thank you for every person in this room who knows you and is walking with you and every person who's seeking you out that perhaps even at this moment they're receiving you as Lord and Savior. God, have your way in us and through us, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, so thankful for his love. Amen.